0: Hey, good morning, brothers and sisters. Today's sermon is for May 26th, 2019, and the accompanying uh, passage of the Bible is Acts chapter 16, verses 9 through 15, which I will read for you now. During the night, Paul had a vision. There stood a man of Macedonia pleading with him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. When he had seen the vision, we immediately tried to cross over to Macedonia, being convinced that God had called us to proclaim the good news to them. We set sail from Troas and took a straight course to the S- Samanthrace, the following day to Neapolis, and then from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. On the Sabbath day we went outside by the gate of the river where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had gathered there. A certain woman named Lydia, a worshiper of God, was listening to us. She was from the city of Theatria and a dealer in purple cloth. The Lord opened her heart to listen eagerly to what was said by Paul. When she and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed upon us. Enjoy the sermon. Okay? Good. Sorry. Would you please pray with me? And now, most holy and merciful God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. O God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I wish to preach to you this morning from the title, Artful Reception. Artful Reception. I was about 16 years old, and my brother and I spent the whole morning working in the scorching heat to take care of my grandmother's yard. We mowed grass, pulled weeds, you name it. And by the time one o'clock came around and the, the sun was high in the sky, we were hot and tired. So we sat in her den and drank ice water as we watched the Indians on television. We didn't even make it to the second inning before my grandmother came into the den and said, Oh, you boys worked so hard out there. Why don't you let me bring you some ice cream so you can cool down? We said, oh, you know, that sounds good, but no, thank you. We're fine. We, we have our water here. We're all set. <laughs> she said, well, you know, ice cream can be very refreshing. Can't I get you a bowl? We said, no, really, water's fine. And she shrugged and she walked away. A few minutes later, she poked her head back in and said, Well, you know, it's Breyers. And Breyers is the best. Mint chocolate chip. I got it just for you. We said, Really, Grandma, please, we're we're just not hungry right now. We're just tired and hot. She walked away again, a bit more briskly than before. Two minutes later, she came back. Well, I got cones. (laughs) <laughs> I got sugar cones. I bought them special for you. Really, don't, don't trouble yourself. We're fine here. It's, it's, it's fine. And then we heard some commotion in the kitchen, drawers being opened, cupboards being slammed. Finally, Grandma came in the room one final time, holding two huge bowls of Breyer's mint chocolate chip ice cream with sugar cones sticking out the top. (laughs) She handed them to us and said, Enjoy! That was a command, not an invitation. And in that way, my grandmother prevailed over us. When Lydia and her household were baptized, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come and stay at my home. And she prevailed over us, wrote Luke. She prevailed. That word that we translate as prevail in, in Greek is "parabiazzo," And it, it literally means to force alongside. It could just as easily be translated as to capture or to arrest, to constrain someone and, and force them to be alongside you. I actually found evidence that it was used sometimes as a wrestling term, almost like to pin, to force someone into submission, to beat them, to have victory. What both Lydia of Theatira (laughs) and my grandmother both understood so well was that hospitality can be a kind of contest. Almost like a wrestling match or even a fight. If you've ever had one of those tugs of war over a dinner check, you know what I'm talking about. You're just trying to do something nice for someone else. You're, you're trying to be generous, making a small gesture. And then all of a sudden, the other person gets a little cagey about it. A little angry, even. And so then you have to make the choice, right? Either you have to insist, you have to keep tugging on that check, you gotta push the bowl of ice cream, or you just have to let it go, Right? There's something inside of us that rebels against hospitality, isn't there? There's often something that, that rears back and shows its teeth when, when someone tries to give us something or, or to do something nice for us, even if it's something that we want or need. There's a part of us that, that flinches whenever an offer is made or a gift is presented, or a door is opened. Why is that? I think there are a few different reasons. Sometimes I think that it's about our concern for the other person, right? That we genuinely don't want to impose. We we don't want them to lack... So that we can gain. You know, there's this other friend of my family. He used to give me $50 every year for Christmas. Even after I started working full time, it didn't matter. Every year, she'd hand me a $50 bill. Now, she couldn't afford that. She was on a fixed income, Social Security. So I'd fight with her about it. And because I was genuinely concerned for her, I would slip that $50 back into her purse When she wasn't looking. And then the next morning. When I would get up to go out. I'd put on my shoes. And there'd be a $50 bill stuck in the toe. (laughs) And you know that kind of concern is good and holy. But if we're being honest with ourselves. I think it's it's often rare. Most of the time, I think we use that kind of concern to cover our true reason for not accepting the hospitality of another—pride. In American culture, being able to provide for oneself, being self-sufficient— is often treated as the chief of all virtues. The plain fact of it is, is that that in this society, we don't want to be seen as needing help. And that's why we don't call it pride. What we call it is dignity, and we act like it's a good thing. That we don't want to be seen accepting a handout, relying on someone else's generosity. We would rather be taking care of others than having them take care of us. So our default position to any gift given to us outside of the bounds of Christmas or our birthday is to either reject it or to accept it begrudgingly, whilst saying something like, Oh, you, you didn't need to do that. Think about what we're saying there. You didn't need to do that. It sounds innocent enough, but what we're really saying is, I could have done that myself. You are not morally obligated to do this thing for me. I could have managed without you. Your gift is unnecessary. Your your kindness is not required. I am self-sufficient and autonomous. I can do for myself, by myself, and I don't need your charity. That word, charity. What have we done to that word, you know when St Jerome was translating the Bible into Latin and and came across the Greek word agape the word not just for love but but for the greatest of all possible loves, the word for for self-giving, unconditional, divine love, the love of God, the love of Jesus, the love that we're called to have for one another, the word he chose was caritas, charity. And now that word has become for us a slur. Like it's an offensive, dignity-robbing cuss of a word that we try so hard to avoid having be applied to us. We recoil at the prospect of receiving it lest we be labeled a charity case. Lest we be labeled as weak or impotent or, God help us, actually vulnerable. I read this one commentary this week where the author just could not understand why Luke would include this stupid little story in the midst of this epic tale. These two verses about where Paul and Luke stayed for the night in the middle of this grand grand epic about the apostles taking over the world. And then it hit me. It's because Lydia taught Paul and Luke. She taught them something incredibly important that day. She taught the teachers a lesson about what it means to receive grace, about what it means to receive hospitality, to receive a gift, from someone that just wants to show them the love of God. Because after all, if we have too much pride, if we have too much dignity to accept the charity of our brothers and sisters, what will happen when we finally admit that we need God's help? Before she makes the offer, She adds a preamble. She says, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, then come and stay at my home. If you have judged me to be faithful, it occurs to me that there is another reason why some of us are afraid to receive the hospitality of others. And that's fear. Sometimes we are afraid that a gift comes with strings attached to it. That a gift could be used as leverage over us. That a a gift could be used almost as a weapon, right? Again, I I think that, that oftentimes such thoughts can be cynical excuses that we use to cover our pride. But nevertheless, I remember this teenage girl. I used to see, back when I was an outreach counselor to homeless kids, we used to bring things for the kids every week um, to the ones who lived out on the streets. We used to bring them socks and food and hygiene products, whatever they needed to survive. But my female boss made it very clear to me that whenever this particular girl came around, she had to be the one who gave her the socks, or the food, or whatever it was. Because this girl had been abused by men her whole life, who gave her gifts with the expectation that she would express her appreciation sexually. And so now she was learning how to set appropriate boundaries in her life. The truth is, there are those who use hospitality to manipulate and coerce. There are those who give gifts and offer respite as a means of getting what they want from you. Maybe it's not always as, as malicious as the men who abuse that girl, but, but sometimes gifts are given as a means of extracting something, as a means of extracting love and attention by, by those who, who don't know how to ask for it in an appropriate way. I'm not saying that we should blame those people. Maybe, maybe they didn't have any examples of, of how to ask for affection. Or, or maybe they're so scared of being rejected and abandoned that they'll do whatever they have to do to make sure that doesn't happen again. I, I get that. But sometimes it's okay to ask the same question that Lydia invited Paul and Luke to ask. Is this person being faithful to the Lord? Is this an act of generosity, an act of grace? Or is this gift being given for some other reason? And if it is some other reason, then you should reject it. You should set that boundary because in that moment, that's what they need by setting that boundary, you are being gracious and hospitable to them by teaching them that, like God, your love and attention are not transactional, that they are not for sale, that they cannot be extorted, but that they can only be freely given and freely received. So how do we know if we're giving and receiving faithfully? If hospitality is being offered in faith or out of a desire to manipulate? There's this this, uh, Serbian theologian named Miroslav Volf that I just absolutely love. And he dissects um, the human hug into four acts as a way of of talking about what it is to give and to receive hospitality rightly act one is the opening of the arms and this this indicates the to another person of your desire to connect with them it's an invitation it's a question would you like to come close and receive what I have to give you? Act two, then, is a pause, right? It's, it's, it's a pause, a, a waiting, which is so important because that pause, what, what that pause tells them is that I am not going to invade you. I'm not trying to take something from you. I'm not trying to coerce or manipulate you. I'm simply inviting you to receive what I have to give. If the other accepts the invitation, then the third act is the mutual closing of arms, where even though one made the offer and the other received it, they are nevertheless holding each other. Wolf says that in every embrace, as in every gift and every act of hospitality, the host also becomes the guest, and the guest becomes the host. Every giver receives, and every receiver gives. And then he reminds us that that when you're hugging someone, when you're giving an act of hospitality, a soft touch is necessary. He says that a bear hug is a term of violence. We act like it's cute, but it, that term was applied to a hug that was intended to smother and overwhelm. A true hug, as with any true gift, doesn't seek to crush the other person, or assimilate, or absorb them. But it always respects them and allows them to be who they are and who they choose to be. And finally, the fourth step of every hug is the release. The gift has been offered, the gift has been given, the gift has been received. And after that, the arms open once again, fulfilling the promise that was made at the start. It's that release that makes it a hug. Because if there's no release, then we have another name for that. It's called assault. The release says, this was a gift, an act of grace. And as such, I release you from any obligation to reciprocate. You know, we spend so much time in church talking about how to give. We spend so much time talking about donation and acts of charity and self-sacrifice. And, and, and that's good because we serve a giving God, a God who who gave us his son, who gave us his spirit, who gives grace every single day of our lives. Paul himself in Acts 20 said, said, it is better to give than to receive. And that's true. But in a society like this one, in a world where everything can be bought and sold, everything is a transaction. In our sick sense of national pride is found in being self sufficient and autonomous. Maybe we should take a moment and reflect on what it is to receive faithfully, to receive artfully, to receive as an act of love that someone else might know the joy. Of giving. These words I offer to you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our second hymn is Dona Nobis Pachem number 376, and Jeff is going to tell us a little bit about it. Hey guys, thanks for listening today. You know, I really hope um, if you're listening for the first time, you'll come on out and see us uh, at the United Methodist Church of Uniontown. During the summertime, our worship service happens on Sunday mornings at 9.30. We would love to see you. And now may the love of God, the grace and peace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit go with you and be with you now and always. Amen.